two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. 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 Always gotta debunk. Mm-hmm. But anywho, I'm excited for this week's episode. <laughs> also, I definitely didn't mean, and I don't think anyone else pointed this out, but I don't know if anyone else noticed that the last two episodes were fully about people eating things. Things eating people. Or people eating people. I was going to say, well, well, Gustav isn't people. He's a crocodile. Man-eaters. Yeah, different. I mean, to, to, in Gustav's defense. <laughs> it's his nature. He's got he's, he's to live. He's a carnivore. Wouldn't that be weird, though, if he was, like, a vegetarian and he was that big of a boy? I mean, um, crocodiles aren't. Touche, touche. <laughs> You're not there's, there's, there's a lot of omnivores out there and herbivores out there. Uh, crocodiles are not among them. Nope, they don't have the choice. They just live their meat-eating lives. They like their meat. Yas. So, anywho, excited for this week's episode. Um, so, fun fun fact, uh, Kim and I have actually gone to this location that we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Not together, but yeah. Not together, but separately um, mm-hmm. and on multiple occasions. And it's a local spot in Seattle. And we wanted to, or I at least wanted to cover a topic that was more localized than other ones that we've done in the past. And if you have listened to a ghost stories, which is our previous podcast that we did prior to ghoulish tendencies, we had some cool local Seattle topics. So if you're interested in Pacific Northwest topics, check out that podcast. There's more info on there. But uh, for this one, I kind of wanted to dig into cemeteries, pun intended. Dig. Hey. Dig, dig, eh. wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Eh, eh, eh. Um, but there's, you know, lots of legends and lore associated with cemeteries. And specifically, we're looking at Comet Lodge Cemetery. The legends and lore seem kind of harmless until you realize that a neighborhood is actually built on and around it. So... In the early days of Seattle, much of Seattle was built on top of literal graves or on top of spaces that were graves at one point. And a lot of cemeteries have actually moved multiple times to support the expansion of the city. Who needs the dead when capitalism runs the world, right? Manifest uh, destiny. Manifest dead destiny. No, stupid. That was bad. That's a stretch. That's stretch. That was terrible. (laughs) Guys, I need to socialize more. This is what happens when I don't see people. Um, (laughs) I mean, the the bad puns are are (laughs) regardless. (laughs) That happens all the time, no matter how many people I'm around. That's just that's just pure Gabby. (laughs) It's why we love you. (laughs) Hand under chin, so pretty. (laughs) So, as an example of uh, one location before I get into the Comet Lodge. So there is this space, and I will just give y'all a heads up. It does get kind of confusing at a certain point because there's lots of lateral names due to the fact that a lot of the places named once Seattle started to become a city were named after the people that founded it, but there's multiple things. So 
there's Denny Park. There's also the Denny Hotel Cemetery. Two different places. And there's the Moore Theater. However, the Denny Hotel Cemetery and the Moore Theater are one in the same. And what's interesting is that it hasn't actually been a cemetery in quite some time. But in the 1850s, it was one of the first places where white settlers were buried in Seattle, was at this Denny Hotel unofficial cemetery area. And what ended up happening was that the Denny Hotel was built right on top of that space of where that cemetery was. Um, And in order to, you know, build it, they had to move some people. And... They actually built the Denny Hotel around 2nd and Stewart between 1888 and 1903, and unfortunately, it caught on fire and was demolished during the Denny regrade three years later in 1906. Now, during the building of the Denny Hotel, construction workers actually found two Native American graves and apparently, so awful, totally looted them. Like, a whole flood of people came in and looted these two graves that they found. Which, I mean, bad juju all around. Now, shortly after the fire in 1906, James A. Moore built the Moore Theater in 1907. It's still there. I've been to a couple of shows there. It's a beautiful theater. Um, Also haunted. Also very haunted. And no surprise, because James Moore was not deterred by the fact that it once was a former cemetery. And they built a theater on top of a former cemetery, which clearly still had some bodies down there. So... No surprise there that, you know, the Moore is, it's got some uh, permanent tenants, if you know what I mean. So uh, that's a story for another time, though. We could do a whole episode on the Moore if we wanted to. Now, Seattle founder Arthur Denny stated that the site had been used as a graveyard before the city started moving graves. And now where the city started moving graves was to Denny Park. And that, before it was Denny Park, was Seattle Cemetery. And now, this day, it is called Denny Park. But before they made it a park and it was a cemetery, they had to take all those bodies that were in that cemetery and get them elsewhere into an actual other cemetery so that it could be a park, right? So they took those bodies to Lakeview Cemetery, which currently is a place that Kim and I visited and got locked in a few weeks ago. Fun fact. Um, But it's interesting because Arthur Denny, in the process of moving all these bodies around Seattle, actually acknowledged that a few graves had probably been missed during the process of, you know, moving them. Sometimes you miss them. And uh, then you have a body hanging out underneath the public park, which might be a thing, but who knows? Such is the history of Seattle cemeteries, and due to the constant growth of the city, many initial graves had to be dug up, moved to accommodate new expansion, and the demand for development, you know? So this brings us to Comet Lodge, which we mentioned. Kim and I have been to a few times. Uh, My first time I visited there was in 2015. It was before I lived in Seattle. I was actually visiting my now fiance, and we had a date night, which consisted of going on a ghost tour in a van with a little old lady that drove us around Seattle and showed us a bunch of haunted spots. And uh, a couple of the spots we went to were um, in the International District. We went to the Georgetown Castle, and then she took us to Comet Lodge Cemetery. And when we went to Comet Lodge, it was very fun because we got to get out of the van, turn on flashlights. And walk around a cemetery at night, which, ooh, 
spooky, <laughs> right? So we were just freaking each other out. But at the time, I was a little bit more um, easily spooked than I am now, I think. <laughs> and uh, we got to check out the gravestones, which were in the park. It was so weird. I remember going in and it just looks like a regular park that's in the middle of a like residential neighborhood. And then you come upon a headstone here or there. And there's a few different headstones that are kind of shoved against a tree in the center. And if you walk around, some of them are put together as though they are in a cemetery and all lined up. And then others are just sporadically placed. And I just remember thinking it was so weird. Like, why is it? Is it a park? Is it a cemetery? If it's a cemetery, why are there all these houses around it? Like, what's the deal? What's the deal with Comet Lodge? Well, I will say, though, a lot of cemeteries are located in very residential areas. That's true. You're not wrong. I mean, I, 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 I visit a fair number of cemeteries like you do. Yes. Uh, I do a little bit of cemetery tourism. If I travel somewhere, I tend to hit at least one cemetery. And I have to say, it's, it's really not uncommon to be in a cemetery that has houses because, you know, things build up around a cemetery, That's true. especially a cemetery in a city. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be a remote area at one point, but then as a place builds up, as a place expands, uh, you know, people just build around or r- rather than, you know, move the bodies. Get. I mean, we'll look at Lakeview. Right. Lakeview's in a, a fully residential area. It's just big, so it's harder to tell. That's true. It's pretty. Um, it's also guarded, though. There, like, there's gates. And oh so, yeah, it's like, very. It's very much fenced off. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's what the difference was for me of it feeling weird is that it's not fenced off. It's open like a park. Um, and so if something's open like a park, it feels like a park. It doesn't feel like a cemetery to me. Personally. It's also managed by. <laughs> it's managed by uh, King County Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. So um, that there makes sense that it doesn't <laughs> look like a cemetery. It looks like a park. Um, but I always found it to be so interesting and always wanted to learn a little bit more about why is this place the way it is? And actually, I talked to June, who is part of our group, A Ghost, um, and she told me that this was the f- one of the first investigations she ever did at a cemetery in Washington. She did an investigation hmm. at Comet Lodge, and they, she actually didn't have any kind of results. I always want to do investigations at cemeteries because I feel like you're going to get something because there's lots of dead people. You're probably going to get somebody that wants to say hi, but she didn't get anything, and We actually used to have pre-COVID, like, picnic meetings, hangs at this park. In the summertime. In the summertime, we we would usually go there at least once, uh, do like a picnic or or something, a barbecue. Either there, we've done done ones at Lakeview before, too, that have been pretty nice. Yeah, and it's fun. We get to do like a little, like Ross will usually do a review of cemeteries mm-hmm. and what things mean when you see them on headstones and it's a nice fun time. Yeah, he has a, a really interesting kind of headstone. I don't know if lecture is the right word, but uh, kind of lecture. <laughs> but it, it's really interesting to to know what all the symbols mean, what what all the stuff uh does. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about what makes this particular cemetery not so typical cemetery e. So cemetery e cemetery e e so Comet Lodge Cemetery resembles a well manicured park like we said we know who takes care of it rather than an overgrown neglected graveyard that it once was and it's hard to imagine 
the cemetery's disrepair, much less the supposed ghosts of pioneer children. Nothing Ooh. is worse or scarier than a ghost, ghost children. child. <laughs> I don't know. I'd almost take a ghost child over an actual child. <laughs> Says the person that teaches actual children on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You kidding? Those, those trauma kids are terrifying. Ghost children, though, they're pretty chill. Especially pioneer ghost children. They're much more polite. You know, it says mm. a lot. <laughs> it really does. So this particular location is situated just east of the five. I'm going to say the five because I'm from Southern California. I was going to say nobody here says the five. I know. It's Interstate not a five. I five. Mm. There we go. Now I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Um, And it's on the hill's western slope on South Graham Street between 21st and 23rd Avenue South. In case y'all would like to visit, you can anytime you want. It was founded in 1881 by good old white settlers. And it was actually first acknowledged as a burial ground for the Duwamish people. And officially became a protected historic graveyard of King County on September 24th, 1895. It is the final resting place for a number of early residents. Some of them, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history of background so you know who's who. When the first white settlers came to Georgetown in June of 1851, they were led by Luther Collins and his family, and they buried their dead in the same area. The Maple family, they were actually farmers originally from Iowa, settled in what is now the Boeing Field, and were some of the first to be buried, and the first recorded burial being of Samuel Maple in 1880. They actually referred to the cemetery as the, quote, old burial grounds. As opposed to the new burial grounds. Well, the reason they refer to it as the old burial grounds is because the Duwamish people used it as their burial ground. So it was old. It was already a a spot. kind of messed up. I know, right? (laughs) But at least... Acknowledging. Oh, yeah. This is is burial grounds that that were already sacred. People were using. And now we've taken that, too. Right? We're going to bury our dead with yours. You have no kind of uh, separation. More fertilizer. Aren't you happy we're here? They actually did get along, though, at first, so that was nice. At at first. (laughs) That's why I said at first. At first. Um, There were also, okay, so total main families that were buried in the area, the Maples, Collins, and Van Asselts. I'm sorry, say that again. Van Asselts. Nope, still funny. A S S E L T S. Assault? Yes. It's it's equally as funny when you spell it. Perfect. Assault. I was not hearing I wasn't really hearing the L and I was hearing the ass really just much. Just like you were hitting that ass, Gabby. You were hitting it. Smacking that ass. Just bam, girl. So um the assaults. Van assaults. <laughs> Uh, they were assaults, assaults, assaults. tomato, tomato. They tomato, were farmers tomato. and they arrived in Seattle in 1851, either weeks or months within uh, the Denny party, who are better known, who we mentioned earlier. Good old Denny. So they kick out there around the same time. It really depends on the source that you look at and where you get your information, but it's all around-ish the same few weeks or months. So... 
There were many Duwamish members recorded on the tribal roll buried in this location, as we mentioned, prior to these families arriving. And as many as 800 pioneers may have been buried in this space over time. 800. That's a lot of people. Now, the last recorded burial there was uh, of a three-year-old child named Jewel London, who passed away on September 21st, 1936. So that's generally the contents of this particular cemetery. Now let's talk about ownership. So as far as documentation of ownership of the land goes, it's been real muddy, pun intended. So bear with me on the references and the puns. So according to a Seattle Times article from 1984, a genealogy researcher named Carolyn Farnham conducted a title search that showed that, quote, Comet Lodge sold the cemetery in 1908 for $1 to Georgetown undertaker H.F. Noyce. I love his last name. I'm sorry. H.F. Noyce? Noyce. N-O-I-C-E. Like how you would spell Noyce. Noyce. H.F. Noyce. I appreciate that. Right? Me too. He deeded it four years later to a former soldier's home physician named Dr. Hiram Corson. Hmm. Now, other sources state that in 1927, Dr. Corson and his wife sold off part of the cemetery to someone looking to build houses. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, the land that they sold was where a number of children had been buried. And of it's not clear what happened to those remains, but the area earned the nickname Babyland. Oh, that's morbid. And you know that there's babies in there. Like, oh, they're yeah. still there. They haven't gone anywhere. So in the late 1930s, Comet Lodge, or whoever the owner was at this point, went bankrupt. And, so, and they totally stopped paying their property taxes, which is bad news bears. So, yeah, pay your property taxes, people. So Brian Hogg, the real estate service manager for King County's property services division said, quote, this property became ours via the tax title process, which basically means when somebody doesn't pay their taxes on a property and it goes to auction and nobody buys it. So when that happened, right, who, who wants who wants the cemetery that's not really a cemetery? Kim raised her hand. I'll take it, too. Too bad we weren't alive at this time. Damn it. it Born it too is. late. Born too late. Born too late. So once that happened, lots of families were like, nah, this is going to be bad. We got to get our family members out of here. So they disinterred their relatives and moved them to other more secure resting places, but not everybody got moved. So in 1939, Samuel Maple and his son, Jacob Maple, were actually moved to the King County International Airport, in case they wanted to go anywhere. Um, And uh, there was a memorial there for their ashes. And Van Asselt was moved to Lakeview Cemetery on Capitol Hill, which we just mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, the grounds began to fall into disarray. So King County was pretty hands-off as a landlord between, like, the 1940s to the 1970s. And it was not looking so good for that old cemetery at that time. There were still plenty of bodies chilling, and nobody was taking care of the grounds. 
Now, in 1959, a past lodge member sent a letter to the county detailing a plan to move the cemetery, stating that the cost of moving the bodies would be recovered by the sale of the land. But, yeah, that never happened. Nothing, nothing happened. Nothing came of that. And so, years later, the city would officially declare that there actually had never been a cemetery at this location, which seems odd with all of the prior documentation that I literally just referenced. So I don't know how they could say, oh, just kidding. There's no cemetery here when they actually have like papers and documentation that says actually, no, there is. Pay no attention to the dead bodies surrounding you. It's yeah, that's why I said muddy for a reason, right? So, you know, people weren't exactly kind to the land at that time. Clearly nobody was watching over it. So desecration commenced. And uh, one person, there's a few stories I have in here that I don't know how verifiable some of them are, so I'll just say <laughs> that now. Um, but it's, they're good stories, and some of them are ghost-related, some of them are not, but I'm going to tell you all of them anyway. So one person reported that their father told them that they found a gravestone that had been stolen and dumped in the alley behind their house. Who does that? Who steals a gravestone and dumps it in someone's alley behind their house? Michael I Myers. Can't. Okay, fine. At least you have an answer. (laughs) So then in 1965, I think this is very funny because I'm like, this is where grunge started. Um, Members of a small unnamed garage band stole a gravestone from the cemetery, took it into their basement where they had band practice, ended up burning a bunch of candles on top of the actual uh, headstone. And the stone actually marked the location of Cynthia Brown Lee, who was born in 1833 and died June 26th, 1898 at 68 years old. Mm -hmm. And she was buried, in fact, at Comet Lodge Cemetery. And eventually one of the band members convinced the rest of them to return the stone to the cemetery, but they didn't remember where they took it from. So they ended up just (laughs) abandoning it along the edge of the cemetery, which is just straight up rude. Like that's so rude. rude. So rude. Uh, And so, you know, that's where grunge was birthed. Um, But anyway, Um, in the 1970s, there was something of a community effort to clean it up. But um, capitalism came along in the 80s and kind of messed that up. So in November of 1987, interest in the land grew. And this led to the city of Seattle demolishing parts of the property, including, but not limited to, the children's burial area. This is how horror movies are born. Truly. And it was to make room for 11 homes. And, of course, some douche named Don Kipper decided to say that he was doing a quote-unquote restoration project, and that's what this was. Uh, But, I mean, restoration meaning, like, you're going to build a house. And uh, these homes were not only built on top of baby land, but also on top of the Duwamish burial grounds. So you're just asking for it at this point. So just to give you an idea, the west half of 23rd Avenue South and all of 22nd Avenue South are atop the graveyard. So, like, two full streets of houses, that's graveyard that it's built on top of. Now, it gets worse. What's extra fucked is that the city of Seattle 
knew some stuff and they still went and did it. So they went ahead and bulldozed several grave sites despite a statement from King County in 1954 stating that the portion of the land that the city of Seattle was interested in, quote, included the graves or remains of deceased persons buried therein. So they knew. It wasn't like they could be like, oh, just kidding. I didn't know there were bodies. Like, they had a full-blown statement from the city of Seattle. Lies. Awful. This is a quote. The guy who bulldozed them said the headstones were for the taking. In reality, the city had never moved the graves. If bodies had been moved from the cemetery, why would they have left the headstones behind? Mm. Which makes perfect sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So remaining headstones were, quote, aesthetically, quote unquote, pushed aside to be in bundles or arranged in a way that resembled burial grounds in certain spots, kind of like how I mentioned earlier. But ultimately, they became cenotaphs, Mm. which... If you're not sure what a cenotaph is, it basically means that the headstone is in a place where the body is not. It just represents like a memorial for a person that's buried somewhere else. And you no longer know where the bodies are, where those gravestones used to be. So now there's rando bodies just around. Great. Mm. Right? Awesome. Awesome. You're asking for a haunting right now. So if you visit the remaining plots of Comet Lodge now... Don't take the markers for their word. There's probably not a body right below where it is because all of those headstones were moved. So, anywho, this brings us to worse things. What happens when bodies get moved around and houses get built on top? It's how ghosts are made. How ghosts are born. Yep. The more you know. So, uh, this cute new neighborhood that was being built was now being sold to unknowing homeowners so not only are they going to build houses on a graveyard they're not going to tell the people they're selling the houses or the property to that they're built on top of a graveyard which to me is just like how why i don't know how that's a thing that can even happen well i mean there's not laws about like there's laws about if somebody's murdered in the home or somebody dies in the home but even then they're pretty loose so I can understand there's not going to be laws about, and I suppose it's different from state to state, but. It also depends on when this is happening. Well, exactly. Like there, there are time buffers. Like if somebody died in the home a certain amount of time ago, you don't have to disclose it. So there, you could be moving into a brutal murder house, but if the brutal murder happened 50 years ago, they don't have to tell you. Now, that being said, if it's a notorious house, you probably. I mean, Should Google exists, people. Google right? exists. Yep. Well, but this is like in the 80s and 90s. Google so doesn't this is exist like, yet. Google doesn't exist at this point in but time yet. AOL, you've got mail. Find a chat room. ASL. Um, yes. So <laughs> there were some opportunities to get information, but not quite enough. I'll just say that. And little did these uh, homeowners know that they're going to get some new tenants and roommates. Nice. So uh, to this day, this is part of Beacon Hill, by the way, this neighborhood that we're talking about. Some of the residents of the Beacon Hill and Georgetown area actually claim to have seen the ghosts of pioneer children. I like that they specifically say pioneer children. (laughs) I mean, it's probably their outfits. (laughs) and They clearly can see full bodied apparitions if they're identifying them as pioneers so well i think it's just funny because you don't hear 
I guess pioneer isn't a term I hear here a lot. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think pioneer, I think more like Little House on the Prairie. And so it's funny to hear. I've never really thought about. It's not incorrect. It's just it, it's not a, a term I hear used here about our history, if that makes sense. But yeah, apparently these kids are playing around the gravesites, so uh, people see it to this day. And let me tell you, there are some stories, alleged, alleged stories. <laughs> We're going to say that word a lot. Alleged, allegedly. Alleged, alleged. If we say it five times, do we summon Beetlejuice or Candyman? No, we Man? summon a ghost hunter. Oh. We summon Ghost Daddy. Is it Daddy. Zach Baggins? Oh, if it's no, Ghost Daddy, Daddy, that's fine. If it's Zach Baggins, then I take it back. <laughs> I take it back, no. man. No, man, it's not him. It's Ghost Daddy, and he's okay. going to sing Lady Gaga, so it'll be fun. Oh, well, that's fine. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. So, uh, alleged, no evidence. 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 But hey, check it out. So, locals speak of stories of children dressed in early 1900s clothing being seen playing with toys of the children who actually live in the neighborhood. So they're playing with the modern day toys, both indoors and outdoors, which seems kind of weird, right? Because if these kids are dressed in like early 1900s clothing, but playing with like modern toys, that's kind of a weird thing to see. Now there's a specific person. Her name is Beverly Washington. She's a resident Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. She has a lot to say. She had a lot of experiences and she's my main person. We're going to be talking about. All right. So Beverly, her home rests atop what might be original grave sites, and she claims her house is haunted. She has experienced poltergeist activity in her house. Lights are turned on at night in a doll display cabinet that she has that is off and not functioning at all, and the lights will randomly turn on. She has some kids, and her kids are also highly aware of activity in the house. Her daughter admitted that the ghost of a little boy would often come into her room at night Uh and sit on the edge of her bed, which is not creepy at all. Maybe he just wants a friend. I mean, who doesn't? To be, that's very true. That's very true. Especially in these trying times. Amen. And apparently not only did the kids know about it, but now their kids' friends also knew about it. So... None of their friends would want to come over to the house to hang out or play. Ooh. Uh, and she says that the county's recent restoration work has upset the formerly friendly ghosts, oh. which we hear about that often. If there's any kind of construction going on, it usually pisses off the spirits. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. apparently all of these ghosts that have been there since she moved in, which she had felt about, were pretty chill for a while until then. And her house actually is on 22nd Avenue South on the north edge of the old cemetery. Mm-hmm. And once they started doing construction, she said, quote, all sorts of bad things began happening. And I had to explain that all that work wasn't my doing, meaning the construction. Right. It was the first time I was afraid in my own house. So she's concerned. So what does she do? She brings in a psychic. So a local TV show. Comes to her house. I don't know what TV show it is. I looked into it and I could not find it. But they bring a psychic into her house and the psychic confirms her fears. So she then is like, you know, 
maybe I'll try to sell the house. She tries to sell the house unsuccessful because, quote, everyone knows about the ghosts, end quote. (laughs) So this brings us to her statement about when she moved in. And she said, quote, when we built here in 1991, we were told by the seller and the builder that there wasn't any cemetery over there, she said. But she persisted in asking the city and the county officials to do something about clearing the property because there was a lot of overgrowth and there were rats. So in that park area, there were like... I mean, to be fair, it's Seattle. There's a lot of rats in Seattle. That's very true. And also, if there's a lot of overgrowth and like blackberry bushes and stuff, that's a good spot for them to live and hide. So like, I get it. And she said that they all told me that it was privately owned. And that I would have to find the owners and ask them. I finally got permission to cut down a tree to build a basketball court next to the house. Now, I think it's hilarious that the county and city officials are telling her to find these owners. But they're the owners, like, fully. And they're just denying everything. So now enter John Dickinson. He was a, is, he lives, he's alive. John Dickinson. As a Georgetown resident whose family is buried in Comet Lodge, he's extraordinarily attached to resolving the issues of the cemetery. And he says he won't allow his family's gravestones to be replaced until the whole cemetery is properly restored. So he's involved. His early restoration efforts actually got him barred by court order from the property. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he still disputes the county's claim to legal title to the land. Sure. So he's just like, screw you guys. My family's buried here. I want to make sure they're taken care of, which I get. So he continues to assert with help of old records and photos discovered when he was working on his master's thesis, that the city and the county for years have destroyed grave sites by digging utility trenches, putting in streets, building 11 houses, uh, <laughs> including, you know, our friend Beverly, <laughs> including her house. Um, oh. And so they all did it over grave sites, and he's aware of it. And he's like, trying to call people out on, hello, they're lying. There's dead bodies in here. So he was the one who brought this information of the cemetery to Beverly. And she said, we still didn't know about the cemetery for sure, but my children told me they've seen gravestones in the blackberries. Then Mr. Dickinson knocked on my door one day and showed me the surveys and assured me that there really were graves in there. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it, especially when he showed me that my house was on top of some of the little children's graves. Yikes. Yikes. Could you imagine? That's like the the ultimate horror story of that is that you now are a homeowner and you've probably saved your entire life to have a house and now your house is built on children's graves. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) We all go into the ground in one capacity or another, so we're always walking on somebody. That's true, but living, living on somebody that's not living, that's always problematic. I, I think Unless this is also like we have different perspectives on things, I think, probably than your average person, because like we both live in the city of Seattle, um, mm-hmm. fairly, fairly central Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my building was built in 1950 and given its location. Oh, yeah, it's definitely on top of some dead bodies, I'm sure. Eh. <laughs> 
I mean, I think my building was built in the 1930s, maybe mm-hmm. 40s. It's mm-hmm. it's an old one. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised either. But yeah. that's the joke of that, like, so many buildings in Seattle were built on top of and potential graveyards. City. I mean, my God, look at New Orleans, you know. That's very true. Like any, well, New York, like, that's just it. Any major city specifically, I mean, London, Paris? Like these are cities built on bones, Edinburgh. It's 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 the inevitability of you know aging. <laughs> There's only so many places to put things, and and so I think um, I think when we know when when it's something like a cemetery, you know, you know, you're on top of graves, and that's upsetting. But if you think about it, living in a city, living anywhere that's been populated for a certain amount of time. We're all on top of dead things. And I guess we're just less affected by most. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, Dickinson isn't done. He's still got more work he's doing. Okay. So in 1997, Dickinson wrote a letter to Mayor Norman Rice Mm -hmm. representing the interests of nine of the homeowners. Now, it's not just Beverly. He got her neighbors, too. Now, they all live on top of the cemetery, and Dickinson's pissed, and he's trying to get the city to be like, hello, do something about it, right? So on behalf of the homeowners, Dickinson asks the city of Seattle to reimburse the owners the value of their homes in their entirety because they were not aware that they had been built atop former burial grounds. So you can imagine that the city didn't really have the greatest response. (laughs) And I'm going to read you a couple quotes from the city. I think they're kind of funny. So, quote, the Department of Construction and Land Use did not and does not have any basis for concluding that the properties you have referred to have ever been used for burial purposes in granting permits For the development, the city does not give assurances as to the title, history, or conditions of a piece of property. And that was written on December 5th, 1997. They also said, if the owners feel that the nature of the property was misrepresented to them in some material way, this is a private matter that they must take up with the sellers of the property. If you or any of these owners believe they have a legitimate claim against the city, that claim must be submitted to the city attorney's office. So the city of Seattle then wrote him a letter saying it, quote, had no interest in Comet Lodge Cemetery and of any apologies or resolutions to the citizens' complaints would cost the city too much money that it doesn't have. I mean, wolf. it's legit, though. It doesn't have it. That's also legit, but also <laughs> to say that, woof. <laughs> now, just had to give a little bit of a technical offshoot from the ghost stories, but I'll bring you back to the ghost stories. So we got more ghost stories for you. One family had an expensive collection of porcelain dolls kept on display in an illuminated cabinet. Different family, not the same family as before. Okay. They kept the cabinet locked and checked the lock nightly, but the owner would find the dolls scattered around the house the next morning as if some ghostly spirit had been playing with the dolls and didn't put them back. Gotta put your toys away. Right? I guess they never learn. Now, another family criticized their only son for leaving his toys around the house all the time. These sound like things that kids do, right? Yeah. So the boy protested. He was like, no, I'm not playing with the toys. What are you talking about? And he was forced by his parents to clean up his room before going to bed every night. 
And he did it every night. He put the toys back in the box. The next morning, the toys were all over the house, not in the box. (laughs) They were found on the stairs of every single level of the house. Almost like this ghost child is trolling them and being like, I'm going to put them everywhere. (laughs) Uh, Finally, this kid confides in his parents that a strange boy dressed in funny clothes came into his room every night and sat on the edge of his bed. And that he felt like the spirit was looking over him. Now, another homeowner said that she saw a clear cloud swoop past her while she was making dinner. And she followed this clear cloud to her bedroom where she saw it more clearly. And it was a full outline of a person, but like as as though it were an actual cloud. Mm -hmm. And then it swooped into the bathroom and disappeared. This person's daughter says that she also has seen spirits. One day uh, she visited the cemetery and then came into the bedroom, into her bedroom. And when she looked out of her bedroom window, she saw a ghost. This ghost was a woman, had long hair and loose waves, and she approached the the little girl's window. And the spirit looked happy, so she got up and went and looked at her. And then she disappeared. Hmm. So a lot of full-bodied apparitions, which is interesting. But it sounds like possibly a lot of residual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that too. It could be both, for sure. People have also reported seeing strange lights and actual apparitions in the cemetery at night. Many of the reports uh, indicate that the spirits are short, probably children, or maybe it's me and you when we're running around this cemetery late at night. And these uh, spirits dart between trees and rocks in the park. And also psychics claim that there are probably between 500 and 100 spirits hanging around in that area, which is quite a bit. Yeah. Now, June told me some stories uh, Mm -hmm. of people, and I wanted to give a kind of a disclaimer. I don't know if it's the same stories as the ones that I already mentioned or if it's different ones, because, you know, when you tell a story, it evolves over time and sometimes details change and you don't know. We don't have names for a lot of these. It's just like this lady saw this thing. And do do we want to tell anyone who might be new who June is? So June is the vice president of our ghost hunting group called Mm -hmm. A Ghost based in Seattle and Tacoma. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has also investigated this location as mentioned in the beginning of the episode. So she had some uh, stories that she's heard about, which I'll tell you now. She said that the woman that lives next door, I think she's talking about Beverly for this one, (laughs) said that she had a lot of strange things happen, that her son had an imaginary friend that checks out. And a lot of things were moved around the house. She said that he would play with a lot of his toys downstairs in the basement and that he would be talking to someone that wasn't there. A few of the neighbors also said that sometimes at night they would see shadows of children running past rocks and playing among the trees. So that also is kind of similar to other reportings. And I feel like it's kind of nice to hear the same story from different sources because then I feel like it's more legit, right? Because you Mm -hmm. hear it multiple times. So today, as we mentioned, King County continues to maintain this location and... Uh, make sure that they do the basic work to make the property tidy and accessible to the public, and you too can enjoy a picnic there anytime. And guess what? It even has a Yelp page. <laughs> I had no idea. But um, for shits and giggles, I found a Yelp review. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is lengthy, but it's very funny. And for those of you that like to get a good giggle about something uh, paranormal, 
we'll post this on our Instagram so you can see it. But the review is by Julia R. from October 23rd, 2007. And I'll read you part of it. And then I'll dangle the rest so you can go read it later. But she says... Do you have any idea how haunted this place is? We all know what happens when a house is built on top of an old Indian burial ground. But do you know what happens when you build a cemetery on top of an old Indian burial ground? That's right. It's double haunted. So what happens when you build a cemetery on top of an old Indian burial ground and then you abandon it and then you desecrate it? I'll tell you, triple possible quadruple haunted. This place is great for a last date or a 30th birthday party or just a good old-fashioned night of getting high and freaking the shit out of your friends. And that is the Comet Lodge Cemetery in Beacon Hill in Seattle. Woo, Comet Lodge! Yeah, now we have to go have like a a picnic there sometime soon (laughs) when it's not rainy. Yeah, we've just we've just gotten into rainy season, so August. I'll see you next year. <laughs> just in time for forest fire season. <laughs> we'll just wear our masks. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> and this brings us to creepy critics corner. Creepy critics corner. Kim, what you watching? I'm watching some stuff. I've been trying to catch up a little on my backlog of television because it had gotten a little extreme. Um, I stand by, I will say, I stand by my recommendation from the previous episode of Resident Alien. Uh, I've gotten further into it, and it's a fucking delight. Uh, Alan Tudyk, who plays the alien, I mean, it's, it's like the whole cast is great, but he's so stinking good, and it's so funny. Uh, so I, I stand by that recommendation. I've also been watching season two of A Discovery of Witches, uh, which I was a big fan of season one. Um, I started reading the, uh, the books. It's based on a, a book series. It's a British show, which basically takes place in a world where you have, um, witches and vampires and demons who all kind of live in harmony. Um, and and this uh, witch is looking for who studies alchemy, and she's looking for a certain book, and she ends up meeting this vampire. And I mean, they're they're kind of they're romancy, they're fun, but the second season they delve into the past and they go back into the like the 1600s. And my oh, God, the setting, the the costumes are gorgeous and. The research that was done to just get everything right, uh, I very much appreciate being that kind of nerd as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, you um, definitely love that. I do, I do. But it's it's just it's it's really fun. It's uh, second season has been airing one episode a week, uh, streaming on Shutter, and I believe that there is. I think we're almost to the last episode of the season, and production on season three has been underway, and it'll cool. end with three seasons. So uh, it's it's worth watching if you like it's it's light. It's not. I mean, it's it's horror adjacent in that we're talking about vampires and witches and demons, but it's it's very much more fantasy and and with a little bit of romance in. That sounds um, exactly up my alley in every way, shape, and form. <laughs> it's it's you know it's it's really good. It's really good and it's fun and 
pretty. It's so pretty. I uh, love pretty shows like that, especially with all the costuming that you're mentioning. I'm really oh, excited to watch that. It's, it's, well, and it's, it's, you know, it's pretty scenery, pretty costumes, pretty people. <laughs> Pretty people, yeah. Pretty people. Uh, so it's it's a good time. It's a good time. And it's, you know, lots of British accents, and I appreciate that, and some great actors in it. Uh, I also, I have to say, I started watching the show on, um, how was the, not the Food Network. It's on, I think, like, uh, True TV called Fast Foodies, which has become my kind of, like, just silly decompressing show. It's a group of chefs, and... Uh, Three, they're they're all Top Chef alumni, and I'm a Top Chef super fan. I love Top Chef, and uh, basically each week a celebrity comes in with their favorite fast food dish. Hmm. So, like one week it was you know Domino's pizza or whatever. Another week it was an egg McMuffin. And first the chefs have to try to recreate the fast food dish oh, exactly, dang. and then they have to try and put their own spin on it and make it theirs. And I mean, like, it's, it's super silly. Like they're all having a good time. You know, it's a good time when they're taking shots before they start cooking. Like it, it's just fun. Nobody's taking it seriously. It's not a serious competition show. It's right. a group of, of friends who are chefs hanging out and trying to recreate fast food. Like it, it's just, it is, it is a, a really fun time and it's, it's not long. It's easy watch. Uh, nice. so I recommend that as well. That sounds awesome. That it's also sounds time. like it would make me hungry watching it. <laughs> Thankfully, almost everything they've, they've been mimicking has been, um, meat dishes for me. So I can oh, appreciate so I, a lot of cooking shows. I think it's why I don't tend to get hungry watching cooking shows. It's very rare. Uh, baking shows, it's different, but cooking shows, it's usually meat, very meat centric. So mm-hmm. it's easy for me to enjoy the pretty, pretty dishes without being like, oh man, I need to eat that. So I'm a vegetarian if you couldn't figure that out by what I just said. <laughs> She's uh, not Gabby. Gustav. <laughs> I'm not Gustav. No. Uh, I have respect for Gustav though. Sure. Uh, Gabby, what you been watching? I, you know, I love a good period piece, so I'm actually very excited to watch uh, a discovery of witches. I actually started watching season one of that a while ago mm. and I forgot about it. Like fully hundred percent forgot about it until you just mentioned it just now. Well, and there was like two years between season one and season two. Oh, and, okay. And beca- partially because season two was such an undertaking and mm-hmm. they wanted to get it right. All of the details, the costumes, right. the settings, everything that I know they spent extra time filming it and creating sure. it but it I did lose that. a little momentum i think sure um but yeah anyway well sorry. i'm excited that season two is available because i love to binge i binge mm. super hard i'm mm-hmm. a for sure binger so now i can watch season one and two back to back yay now i have something to watch um but i was actually watching penny dreadful again mm. because i just love that show um and it's so just great and also aesthetically pleasing um i love the costuming in that as well so Mm -hmm. i've been watching that and i i mean i've been watching i've watched hamilton for the first time oh you finally jumped on board yeah (laughs) i finally watched it my name is alexander hamilton and there's a million things i haven't done just you wait just you wait like that just like that. Yes. Just like that. Give me yep. my Tony. 
I'm passing it to you through Zoom. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. I'd like so to well thank deserved. the Academy. Wait, wrong award show. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so I watched that and then I truly have not watched a lot of other things. Um, You've been busy, girl. You've been busy. I have been busy and I did start reading a book uh, that I'm actually reading two books. I'm reading <gasps> one book. Read... I read. I read <gasps> <What>? books. <laughs> what? What? And I don't just read one. I read two at a time <gasps> because I am that guy. <laughs> yes, you are. So um, one book I'm reading is for the podcast, which will be my next episode. So I'm not going to tell you what I'm reading <gasps> yet. We'll talk Ooh. about that on that episode. Mystery. But stay tuned. It'll be a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, the book I'm reading currently is called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, because I myself don't know when to stop, <laughs> and I feel like sometimes I need someone to check me. Uh, so I actually think this book is very helpful. It's it's. I used to hate self-help books, but then I started reading a couple that were actually like legit helpful, and I think coming out of this last year and everything that's gone on. It's been a very helpful source of support and a great way to just give you a new perspective on, as a woman, how you are intended on being perceived and how you should expect yourself to be perceived, which is a really interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'm reading that and it's really good and I really enjoy it and I highly recommend it to anyone who has felt overwhelmed, stressed out anxious, burnt out at all. Any of those words that you feel that you should read this book. It's very good, but yeah, that's it. Cool. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We have more awesomeness coming your way. Kim actually has a tea and true crime coming up. Kim, tell us about your tea and true crime. I do have a tea and true crime coming up. Uh, so my next tea and true crime is going to be on the White House farm murders. And Ooh. if you are unfamiliar, which I find a lot of Americans are, it was a huge, huge, huge case over in the UK, which is where it happens. Uh, and it is, it is kind of like the, how did I describe it to you, Gabby? It's the DeFeo murders of the UK. It's the Amityville mm-hmm. murders uh, in which the son Jeremy Bamber was convicted of murdering his entire family. However, doubt remains as to whether or not he indeed was the perpetrator. It's a really interesting case. And and again, it's a case that I find a lot of people in the United States have not heard of. So uh, it's weird to say I recommend it, but I, I like the case is one I, I've talked about it before for um, uh, some other organizations. And it really is 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 fascinating and, and very sad, just really, really sad. Uh, the next TN True Crime will be on March 21st at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And you can buy tickets at spookedinseattle.com. You can find some more information about tea and true crime if you're new. The presentations usually last somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour, and we do a Q&A in that. Uh, you get a little PowerPoint presentation. You get some of my bad jokes. It's a good time. Much fun had by all. Yes, and you don't I have to be. Enjoy. And you don't have to be local either, which is what's kind of great since we've moved them online. Uh, mm-hmm. We have people showing up from all over the country to to partake, and it's been really cool. Yes, yes. it's awesome. 
And if you also like true crime, you should check out the podcast Washed Away. Um, I actually have been working on the side on that to help out my friend Ashley. And so that's also a good uh, podcast about the Pacific Northwest and cold cases mm-hmm. of the Pacific Northwest. Cool. So, yeah. Check that out if you haven't checked it out already. And thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, feel free to check us out on our website. It is ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our social media lives there. We have our Instagram, Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We have our Facebook page. It's Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We have our Twitter. It is Ghoulish Podcast. We also have Patreon. Thank you so much to all of our patrons. We so appreciate you. And if you have not checked out our Patreon yet, head on over to patreon.com. Look up Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. we got some good fun things on there for you, too. So thank you so much for listening. And have a wonderful rest of your week. Happy soon-to-be spring. I can't wait. And uh, stay.